This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. We welcome you this morning to our Sunday morning worship service from Ocean Lakes Family Campground in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. The sermon subject today is guilty, but not condemned. This morning we're going to look together at a crucial event in the life of Jesus where his enemies were trying to trap him in an argument at the expense of a woman. Our scriptural basis for the message today is John's Gospel, chapter 8, the first 11 verses. The Bible tells us, as we saw last Sunday, that we're all sinners. And we pray that God will speak to our hearts today a word of encouragement in this message as we are reminded that God is a giving and a forgiving God. Early one morning, Jesus was in the temple courtyard teaching a group of friends. All at once, a crowd of men, it was really a mob, came pushing through. Their faces were set, hard, condemning, and stern. In front of the men, a woman was being shoved along. The Bible doesn't tell us her name. She may have been a common woman of the streets, or she may have been one of the respected women of the city. We don't know. As we try in our minds to recreate this scene, though, we may see this woman trying to free herself, hoping to get away from that mob of men. But even as she tries to get away, one of the men who holds her by the arm tightens his grip, and she cries out in pain because he's hurting her. As this mob comes to where Jesus is, they begin to tell Jesus in loud voices what they have come to him for. In voices which everyone can easily hear, they shout the facts of her, stain, of her shame and all the dirty details. She had been caught in the very act of adultery. Her accusers had already made up their minds to stone her to death. And since it was the custom to stone such women without any clothes on, it is likely that her clothes had already been ripped off. Individuals can sometimes be hard and cruel, but when the fires of hate are fed by a mob, things can really get out of hand. Tragically, we've even seen this in our nation in these past weeks. This mob in Jesus' day had apparently already lost all sense of decency if indeed they ever had indecency to start with. And now here they were, asking Jesus if this woman should be stoned or not. It was really a cheap trick by which these men wanted to trap Jesus. You see, for a very long time, these scribes and Pharisees had been trying to get some charge whereby they could discredit Jesus. Now they thought they were really pulling their Sunday punch. You see, in those days when a difficult legal question arose, the people ordinarily took the matter to a rabbi for a decision. Well, Jesus was called a rabbi, so here they were asking him for an opinion. In the eyes of Jewish law, adultery was a serious crime. 
Uh, sadly, we don't consider it that today. The rabbis in Jesus' day said every Jew must die before he will commit idolatry, murder, or adultery. You see, adultery was one of the three worst possible sins. The Old Testament law against adultery was quite specific. There was no question, but it carried with it the penalty of death. Now, here were these self-righteous scribes and Pharisees trying to trap Jesus with a question about this woman, who was clearly guilty, of course. They asked, Rabbi, what shall we do? Shall we stone her or not? Now, that was quite a question, because look at the choices Jesus had, how he could have answered. If he had said, yes, go ahead, stone her. Well, for one thing, Jesus would have lost his name and his reputation for being a friend of sinners. He had been known for his love and for his mercy. All that reputation would be down the drain now if he coldly, quickly replied, yes, go ahead, stone her. But there was another factor in that kind of answer. Jesus was a Jew, and the Jews had no power to pass or to carry out a death sentence on anybody. So if Jesus had said this woman must die, he would automatically have become a criminal in the eyes of the Roman government. Well, let's look at the other side of the coin. Suppose Jesus had said, no, no, do not stone her. Well, look at the problems he would have faced with that answer. First, he would have been repudiating the law of Moses. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10 makes it very clear. Let me quote that, chapter, that verse. The man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Also in Deuteronomy 22, Verses 13 through 24, the law of Moses says that in the case of a girl who is already engaged, who commits adultery, that she and the man who seduced her are to be brought outside the city gates and uh, quoting the scripture, you shall stone them with stones until they die. And furthermore, if Jesus had told these men to pardon the woman, Jesus would, in effect, be saying that he was excusing or maybe even encouraging adultery. And so you see, it was quite a neat trap which these enemies of Jesus had set. But this mob had apparently forgotten that they were dealing not only with a guilty woman, but they were also now confronting the Son of God and their plans backlashed on them. What did Jesus do? First, he stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. Why did he do that? Well, there's several possible explanations have been given. One, somebody has suggested that Jesus wanted to stall, to gain time, not to rush into a decision. Most students, I think, have used this method at one time or another. The teacher asks you a question and you search your mind for an answer that just will not come. Maybe you think you've read something about this somewhere, but right now you don't have the vaguest idea of what the right answer is. And so to take the spotlight off yourself for a few quick moments so you can think, you very 
sincerely ask, uh, would you, teacher, would you repeat that question, please? Stalling. Well, personally, I don't put much stock in this possible explanation of why Jesus wrote on the ground, but that's one that has been given. There's a more sensible explanation to me uh, that Jesus may have wanted to show up these scribes and Pharisees and all their sadistic cruelty by forcing them to see what they were saying. And so Jesus did this by stooping down and writing on the ground, sort of ignoring them, uh, by even pretending he didn't hear what they had said, making them repeat for their hearing how coarse, how cruel they were. In fact, there are some manuscripts in the New Testament which add in verse 6 of John chapter 8 the words, as though he heard them not. These words are not in the best manuscripts, but they might well have been added in order to help the passage make more sense, to amplify, to clarify. In fact, if you will look in your King James Version, you will see that the translators admitted the adding of these words. They were not words in the original, but they, they put those words there and they put them in italics, meaning they were not in the original manuscripts. Jesus pretended not to hear them and their accusations to make them realize how cruel they were speaking, what they were saying. But there's a third, uh, I think, equally uh, sensible reason for Jesus' actions. And that was because Jesus was so ashamed of this situation until he couldn't even look those people in the eyes. Can you imagine the horrible sense of shame that ought to shock any decent person in this situation. Here was a bloodthirsty mob intent on stoning a woman to death. And in all their self-righteousness, they had stripped her of her clothes. They had pushed her along. And now her accusers stood in front of Jesus. That was enough to twist the heart of Jesus in agony and pity. And so he stooped down to hide his face out of common decency. There's yet another proposed reason why Jesus did what he did. Perhaps the most interesting of all the proposed answer, answers to the actions of Jesus. This comes not from the Bible itself, but from later manuscripts. Uh, some people think that this explanation is really part of the Bible text, although it is not. As Jesus wrote on the ground, the men of the mob continued to shout their accusations and Jesus lifted up himself. I'm sure Jesus did not take one backward step. Now he stood straight and tall, looking the men of that mob straight in the eye. Yes, Jesus was tender, loving and kind, but he was not weak. He was never afraid. And with a voice of steel, Jesus said, he that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her first. And then Jesus stooped down again and wrote on the ground. Now, it's at this very point that some of these later manuscripts suggest what he wrote. One says, he himself bowing his head was writing with his finger on the earth to declare their sins and they were seeing their several sins on the stones, on the ground. Now the normal Greek word for to write uh, 
is not used here. But there's another word which is used, which means to write against. It may well be that Jesus was confronting those self-confident, self-righteous scribes and Pharisees with a recollection of their own sins. In addition, the phrase, he that is without sin among you, means not only without sin, but that phrase in the original language means to go beyond. It means without a sinful desire. And so Jesus was in effect saying, yes, you may go ahead and stone her, but only if you never wanted to do the same thing yourselves that you are now condemning her for. And Jesus wrote for a second time on the ground. And there was now a silence, deathly silence. Dr. Charles Allen has described the scene in these words. They had howled for judgment against this woman. And now he began to let judgment descend on their own heads. Jesus wrote, liar. And he looked at a certain man. The man's face turned white. The rock slipped out of his hand and he turned away. Murderer, thief, adulterer, drunkard. One by one, the penetrating eyes of Christ gazed upon those men. Their rocks thudded against the pavement. They hurriedly left until finally Jesus was alone with the accused woman. Those disciples whom Jesus had been teaching saw Jesus and the woman there alone. We can assume that by this time, someone had probably offered some garment to her. That's just an assumption. And Jesus now asked her, woman, and by the way, this was the same word by which he addressed his mother, Mary, when Jesus was on the cross. Woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? Her answer, no one, sir. Then the reply of Jesus, which was not a word of criticism, not a shout of condemnation, not a sermon on hell, but rather it was the soft, kind, merciful words from our Savior. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now it would take another message to bring the conclusion to this message, which I'd like to bring, but that would be impractical. In just a few moments, though, let, let me bring into clear focus a few of the truths from this marvelous insight into the heart of Jesus. I'm just going to mention these without time for elaborate, uh, extensive elaboration. First, we see here the attitude of self-righteous individuals toward other people. When you find a person who is strong on condemning others, you can usually mark it down that here is one who is overlooking the sin in his or her own life. One who has been forgiven much forgives. You can write that down and, and highlight it. One who has been forgiven much is willing to forgive. A second truth. We see the spirit of Jesus who dealt with this woman not as a thing, but as a person. That mob could not have cared less about this woman. They were using her as merely a tool 
to try to trap Jesus. But he turned the tables on them and he dealt then with her personally. Third, we see the forgiving spirit of Jesus. It's important we not be misled by what Jesus said to this woman. He was not suggesting that she was innocent, nor did he uphold her in her immoral living. What he said was that he was not going to condemn her for her adultery. Actually, it was not necessary for Jesus to condemn her. She was already condemned. You know, John three seventeen. for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus had something better to offer than condemnation. John three seventeen concludes, but that the world through him might be saved. We know very little about this woman, but I have an idea that she was never the same person again after having met Jesus that day. I wish the Bible had gone on and we could have seen the end of the story. We'll have to ask that question when we get to heaven. Yes, the Son of God healed the sick. He caused the blind to see. He quieted the winds and the waves. Even he raised the dead to life. But in this woman, defeated, condemned by sin, Jesus worked what might well have been the, one of the greatest miracles of all. The hymn that we sing has these words. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Jesus did it for this woman. And he'll do the same for anyone who will accept his amazing grace. Oh God, thank you for this beautiful story. A horrible story, but a beautiful story of how Jesus showed his love to one who was so undeserving. Oh God, we're all undeserving of your love, but help us to receive it with gratitude and to live our lives so that we can show how thankful we are for the way you love us. We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.